Hey, what's up, guys? We are so excited that you were joining us today. If you're a part of our Grace community, whether in person or online, we would love to connect with you on social media at the Grace AG on all social outlets. But the best way to connect is to join our online community at live.graceassembly.org. Here, you can connect and engage with other Grace members around the world. So, we hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Let's jump right in. Over the next few weeks, we're just going to talk about how do we, as followers of Jesus, how do we engage our culture the right way? We don't want to retreat from culture. We're supposed to engage the culture because we have a great commission to go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we're not hiding until Jesus comes. No, we are advancing the kingdom of God till Jesus comes. How do we do that in an effective way? How do we do that in the right way? And if, if I'm honest, uh, this series has been in my heart for a long time because I feel like I could do a better job equipping you to interact with our, our world, our culture, and do it in a way that's meaningful, helpful, and effective. And let's be honest, there's a lot of issues going on in our culture that not only did we never think we'd ever have to deal with these things before, we didn't even know these things were a thing until recently. I'm talking about biological boys using girls' restrooms, biological men dressing up as women wanting to participate in women's sports. I'm talking about all of those issues who were like, what? Um, and then a couple weeks ago, we have a historic decision by the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade. And if you dare to celebrate that, somehow that makes you evil? This is a crazy world that we live in. And so uh, I want to do a better job of equipping you as followers of Jesus. How do we serve this world I just described? How do we serve this culture that I just described? Because if we're not careful... Christians can come across like we hate everybody, and we're against everything. Um, we're accused sometimes of being bigoted, hateful, angry, arrogant, hypocrites. Now, here's the good news. That doesn't describe this church. It doesn't describe any church I've ever been part of. Because this church and every church I've been part of have been full of genuine people, real people, authentically striving to follow Jesus, to become Christ-like, generous, blessed, serving, grace. Now, by the way, that's why we're doing Serve Day this coming Saturday. It's not just another thing on your calendar. We're going to our community with our palms down to bless. We're not asking for anything in return. We're not trying to take. We're not going to you know, pound people on the head with, with our Bibles. We are serving we are blessing. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of this church. That's the heart of the kingdom of God, isn't it? Is we want to serve people well. And so if you haven't signed up for Serve Day, that's the first altar call. Everybody bow your head. No, not really, but please, please, please join us for Serve Day. Join me. Join my family. It's going to be a blessing. So how do we respond to our culture because we don't want to be hateful, but we don't want to compromise either. How do we stand firm on God's truth, 
and still love people well? How do we communicate the truth that sets people free, by the way, in a way that people actually hear it and that they actually respond and give their life to Jesus? Because that's our mission, right? And I think the answer is simple. The answer is Jesus. And so this is a verse we're going to start with today, and it's really the theme verse for the whole series. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So John is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Word, became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, watch this, full of grace and truth. So Jesus the Bible says, was not 50% grace and 50% truth. No, the Bible says at the exact same time, he was full of grace and truth. Now, let me illustrate this for you in a pretty simple way, as as best as I know how. Uh, Let's call this yellow liquid uh, grace. Because how many know, uh, and then the blue one's going to be truth. Okay, how many of you know that we tend to lean toward one side or the other? Uh, Some of us lean more toward being a grace person, and some of us lean more toward being a truth person, right? So grace people, uh, they they like to say things, they're, they're really big on compassion. Grace people are big on compassion. You know, why can't we all get along? You know, uh, we're all sinners, you know, we all make mistakes, we're just going to love everybody, and it's okay. You do you, boo-boo. You be you, you know. Just be you. Grace, grace, grace. Now, that's, that's what some of us lean toward. Some of us, though, we, we always lean toward the truth, right? And we're not as big on compassion as we are big on conviction, right? And they say things like, rules are rules, Think of the toy Santa in Santa Claus 2. Got to follow the rules. The rules are very good. You remember what happened to that guy? It wasn't good. And so we're all about truth, 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 truth. Now, here's the reality. A lot of people think that the two things can't exist together, that grace and truth don't belong together and they don't mix. Because you're either grace or you're the truth, but you can't be both. That's what a lot of people think. That's what our culture thinks. By the way, this is how people label us, right? This, you're either this or you're that. You can't be anything in between. But here comes Jesus, who's a little different, right? So the Bible says Jesus was full of grace. And he was full of truth. And Jesus perfectly combines the two together. And guess what? We want to be like Jesus. Our goal is not to be like that. Our goal is to be like this. Full of grace and truth. How many are with me so far? Let me give you just a few scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Always be prepared... To give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, 
but do this with gentleness and respect. So Peter is saying, preach the gospel, tell the truth, but don't be a jerk about it. Right? Grace and truth. Ephesians chapter 4 says, speak the truth in love. Truth, love. Truth, grace. Grace and truth. So how do we do that? How do we engage our culture in a way that produces real change in people's lives? Because we're on a mission. How do we love people well, but not compromise God's standards? How do we have both conviction and compassion? Again, the answer is Jesus. And there is a great story in John chapter 8 uh, that gives an illustration of what this actually look, looks like in the life of Jesus Christ. We're going to start with verse 2. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such, such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, the greatest, probably one-liner of all time, probably the greatest answer to all religious people ever, he said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. You know, the religious people in this story wanted to kill this woman. We kind of sanitize it in our thinking, but if this would have actually been played out and they actually would have stoned her, do you realize if it were a movie, it would have been rated R for graphic violence? They wanted to take rocks and bash her head in. Imagine with me, what it might have looked like from the perspective of this woman. She's humiliated. She's dragged out into public, and the Bible says she was caught in the act of adultery, which means she probably wasn't fully clothed. So here she is naked and ashamed. She's exposed. And she looks around or looks up and sees all of these religious people who want rocks in their hands to kill her. I think there might be far more people than we think in our own culture, perhaps in our own community, that have this same perspective of the church. They look at us ready to humiliate them. They look at us with rocks in our hands, ready to shame them. And if we're honest, sometimes that's true. Because I think far too many followers of Jesus are indeed throwing rocks. Or at least people who name the name of Jesus. They might, may not actually be followers of Jesus. By the way, just because you use the word Christian doesn't mean you're actually following Jesus. I think a lot of times, though, the rocks come through social media. We sit behind our computers, our phones, 
our tablets, and we're just lofting rocks like this one. I saw this from a, an Assemblies of God pastor who shall remain nameless to protect the guilty, but equating Pride Month to a demon. Is there any grace in that? Isn't that what the religious people did in this story or wanted to do in this story? But Jesus calls them out for their self-righteousness because truth without grace always leads to self-righteousness. So Jesus reminds them, hey, go ahead and condemn her, but the first one of you that have never sinned, you throw the stone. What a powerful statement. Because Jesus is saying, hey, there's only one person here that has the right and the power to judge her, that's me. And I'm choosing not to condemn her, so why in the world are you? How many know we need both grace and truth? Let's continue the story. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Now watch this. Jesus gave her grace. He said, I don't condemn you. I'm not going to pick up a rock and stone you. I don't condemn you. But he didn't say, hey, I understand he gave her grace, right? But the grace didn't say, hey, I understand you probably had a rough life. There's probably reasons you've chosen to live this way and do these kinds of things. No, he doesn't do that. He says, I don't condemn you, but stop sinning. He gave her truth. Go and sin no more. Grace and truth. You see, I think Jesus' response to this woman caught in adultery is the model for us, how we engage culture, how we engage people who aren't following Jesus, how we engage all of these issues that we're facing. We give grace. We don't condemn people. We don't throw rocks. We don't humiliate. We don't make fun of people. We don't shame people. And we don't demonize people. We give grace, but we also give truth, and we don't compromise God's truth because God's truth is actually love. People say love is love, but love is actually truth. The Bible puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, love should always make us tell the truth. If we truly love people, we're going to tell them the truth, but we're going to give them grace. The reality is truth is not restrictive. Truth is not oppressive. Truth is, not, uh, truth is actually freeing because it's liberating because Jesus said it's the truth that sets us free. I think that the most unloving thing that we can do is not tell people God's truth. I think it's the most unloving thing to let people continue in their bondage, in their sin, and not tell them there's a way out through Jesus. But here's the reality some of us are afraid to tell people the truth because we're afraid we're going to offend somebody or somebody's going to call us a bigot or we're going to lose a relationship. 
And because of that, we don't speak up and tell the truth. Can I tell you, that's not love either. Somebody put it this way, grace without truth is meaningless. But truth without grace is mean. Grace and truth is medicine. And this is what people need. Grace and truth. Tim Keller put it this way, truth without grace is not really truth. And grace without truth is not really grace. We need both. So my goal today, not just today, not just during this series, my heart as a pastor, I want to be a church full of grace and truth. I want to be like this. I want to be like Jesus. I, I, I want to be a pastor full of grace and truth. I want to love people well, and I want to speak the truth in love. I want to show grace because I need grace, and I've received grace. Come on, somebody, because I can't throw stones because I'm not without sin, right? I need grace, so I'm going to give grace. But because we actually love people, we're going to speak the truth because truth is what sets us free, and we need grace and truth together. So my goal is to convince Christians to drop the rocks. Stop casting stones. And my goal is to convince unbelievers to embrace the truth. Now before we apply this to a few different areas, and we're gonna spend the rest of the month applying this to very specific areas of our culture, but I wanna point out one more thing that there seems to be a consistent theme in the scripture, when it refers to grace and truth, in John chapter 1, Jesus is full of grace and truth. And here in John chapter 8, Jesus shows her grace and then speaks the truth. Did you notice what typically comes first is grace? Could it be that the word of God is teaching us that we lead with grace and then we speak truth? Grace first, then truth. We lead with grace, and then we proclaim the truth. In fact, you could say it this way. I don't think we can make a doctrine out of it, but I think you could say it this way, that Jesus connected with people before he corrected them. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. This is a sing-along. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. For the Lord he wanted to see and Jesus said, Zacchaeus, thief, liar, get down out of there and get yourself right with God. Is that what Jesus said? No. He said, Zach, let's go eat. And he did. And what happened to Zacchaeus? He restored everything that he stole. His life was changed. Grace and truth. Luke chapter 15. People, Jesus is hanging out with some unpopular people. The Bible calls them publicans and sinners. Okay? Bad people. These aren't holy people. These aren't religious people. And he's starting to get criticized for it. And so Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Famous stories. And he says, guys, I want to remind you. I came to seek and to save the lost. So here he is connecting with sinners before he's correcting them. 
Are you with me? Romans chapter 5. I think this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. We celebrate the incarnation at Christmas. We celebrate it every day, actually, because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God chose to live where we live, experience what we experience, the pain that we experience, everything that you've ever experienced, Jesus experienced as a human here on the earth. Why did he do that? He was connecting with us. And then he died for us so that we could be set free. Connect before we correct. Did you know you can apply this to parenting? All the parents need to hear this because how many know if you want to raise great kids, you've got to connect with them as well as correct them. You need grace and truth. So how many know if you're constantly correcting your kids without encouraging them as well, your voice is going to start to sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. In fact, I think this is a great challenge for parents to start tracking your corrections and your connections. And see how they balance out and see how it's going in your family. Because some of you are saying, why don't my kids listen to me? Why don't they do what I ask? I'm their parent for goodness sake. Yes, you're their parent and they should listen to you, but they're not. Why? Can I tell you that when our children feel connected to us, we're going to have greater influence over them. I'm not saying that you have to earn the right for your kids to obey you. Please, students and kids, don't go home and say, did you hear what Pastor Way preached about? That was good stuff. Let me get the rest of the story out, okay? That is not optional for you, children. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, obey your parents. Honor your parents. Because this is the right thing to do. So your days will be long upon the earth. Anybody ever have a parent use that as a threat against you? I did. So, listen, you can make a child behave, you can control their behavior, but if you want to connect with their heart, there needs to be grace and truth together. That was totally free. Back to the message. Did you know that as followers of Jesus, our assignment is not to correct people's behavior? Jesus did not give us the Great Commission and say, go make sure everybody's living right. He invited us to preach the good news, which is inviting people to Jesus. And guess what Jesus does? Jesus changes people from the inside out. And what you and I could never do correcting people's behavior, Jesus does from the inside through grace and truth together. And so we've got to shift our thinking a little bit, Right? And we've got to understand what grace and truth means. In fact, I don't know that we would ever put this on a banner. Uh, we probably wouldn't put it, uh, you know, this is our advertising. But I think a lot of churches uh, have embraced this type of thinking that, you know, that if you believe like us and you behave like us, then you can belong here. But if you stop believing like us and you stop behaving like we think you should be behaving, uh, then you don't belong here anymore. Of course, we'll gossip about you and call it prayer. 
Now, no church would ever say that's who we are, that's what we do, but I think that's how we practice it a lot. Maybe without even knowing it. Because Jesus didn't follow that line of thinking at all, did he? He invited imperfect people to follow him, even before they believed, even before they started behaving, (laughs) right? And then God, Jesus changed their life. Can I tell you that the worst evangelism strategy in the world is to make people who need Jesus your enemy first? Make them hate you first. Demonize them. And then try to tell them about the love of Jesus. I heard somebody put it this way. I think it's pretty powerful. Why would we demonize people we're called to evangelize? Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance? It's the mercy of God. It's the grace of God that draws us to repentance, and it's the truth that transforms us. Are you hearing me today? And so God wants us to have grace and truth together, not one or the other, but both together through Jesus Christ. And so this is how we engage our culture. How Jesus approached this woman caught in the act of adultery is exactly how we engage our culture, right? So let's start applying this to our lives. And since John chapter 8 was about the issue of adultery, let's talk about that for a second. Adultery. If you have committed adultery, or you've been involved in sexual sin in any way. Here's what Jesus said. I don't condemn you. What Jesus said to that woman is what we say to you today. I don't condemn you. This church doesn't condemn you. In fact, God loves you, and so do we. And we're glad you're here. We are glad that you are here. And can I take it one step further and say, if you've experienced adultery, and maybe you were the, you were the, you were the, you did it. And instead of the church coming alongside to restore you, they ignored you. And instead of trying to help you, they gossiped about you. I want to apologize on behalf of every pastor or church who did that. Because that is not an accurate reflection of the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. That is not God's heart. Because he's not condemning us. He's convicting us, yes, but he's not condemning us, right? The vast majority of people who have committed adultery have regretted it. Because adultery destroys people's lives. And there's all this guilt and condemnation that comes with it. Grace. What about truth, pastor? Well, the truth is there's a reason why don't commit adultery is one of the big ten. Don't have any sexual relationship outside of marriage. Why? Because it destroys people. The person who commits adultery inevitably gets to deal with guilt and shame. And the family members of the person who is cheated on, particularly their spouse, is deeply wounded and humiliated. It's probably the most damaging thing that can happen to a marriage. And although cheating doesn't always end in divorce, many times it does. And how many know divorce is painful? The biblical word for divorce literally means the tearing of the flesh, the ripping of the flesh, and it leaves a scar. And how many know when cheating leads to divorce, everybody pays a price, especially kids? 
Think of, think of your family like, a passengers, like passengers on a boat. And if the boat sinks, everybody drowns. Now, if we use this analogy of a sinking boat and take it one step further, because adults typically know how to swim, and they're typically stronger so they can have stamina. However, children most of the time don't know how to swim, and they lack strength. Can I tell you, that's a picture of what happens when divorce is involved. Cheating damages kids. Divorce damages kids. And when a marriage is in crisis, their kids are also in crisis. Pastor, I thought you weren't here to throw stones. I'm not throwing stones. I'm telling you the truth. And I'm saying it in love. And I'm trying to say it with all grace. And the reason is because I think the people who will testify that everything that I just said is true are the people who have actually experienced adultery and divorce. Let's keep going. What if we applied grace and truth to something else the Bible calls sin is living together without being married. By the way, sexual sin is any sexual, any sexual act outside of a marriage covenant. So what if we're living together, pastor, but we're not married? Well, here's the grace. If you're watching online or if you're still with us, praise God. <laughs> and you're living together? Experiencing sexual intimacy with somebody you're not married to? We don't condemn you. We're not here to throw rocks at you. We love you. God loves you. That's what God's word says. And I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip. I'm trying to give you grace. Exactly what Jesus would do. But the truth is that when we live together outside of marriage... The statistics show again and again, if you do eventually do get married, you have a twice as likely the uh, likelihood of getting a divorce than everybody else. Cohabitation devalues you as a person. Do I want to be with somebody who's just trying me out? Study after study shows that people who uh, are married are the ones who are most satisfied in their relationship, both physically, sexually, and relationally. So if you're living together without being married, the truth is you're defrauding the person that you say you love. And if it's for financial reasons, by the way, the fastest growing group of people that are cohabitating is people over 50. And I think a lot of the reasons is money. And so if the, if the reason you're not getting married is because of money, are you actually saying there's only so much I'm willing to sacrifice for you? So, Pastor, what do we do? We're living together. And apparently that's not right. Well, you've got a couple choices. You can move out. And for some of you, that's a good option. Some of you, you could get married. And if you want to get married, we'll help you do that. Myself, all of our pastors, we're all trained. We want to help you. We'll help you get married. We'll help make that happen. If you can't wait for that, go to the Justice of the Peace this week. Get yourself married. Okay? That's, that's truth. And that's what God wants. Well, Pastor, does that mean I can't go to church anymore? Please, please, please. That is not what I'm saying. Grace 
and truth together. What about pornography? If you're addicted to porn or you're consuming pornography in any way, let me be clear again. Just like Jesus said to the woman, we don't condemn you. We're not here to humiliate you. We love you. God loves you. According to Josh McDowell, the age at which a child first is exposed to pornography is between the ages of five and seven. And when kids view porn, it affects them physically and emotionally in a very strong way. And our world is crazy. What people have to, used to have to go find intentionally is now a click or two away on your phone or tablet. And we give these to our kids? The truth is, pornography destroys people and it destroys relationships. It's not a harmless sin. One of our pastors on our staff recently shared his story with us and I asked him if he'd be willing to share it with the church today. Watch this. Well, hey guys, I'm Pastor Mark, and today I have the privilege of sharing just a part of my testimony with you guys. So I, uh, I grew up in church. Every time that the doors were open, my parents had my brothers and I there, and really was your, your pretty stereotypical church kid. Got saved at a really young age, even felt a call to ministry at a really young age. Uh, but with every story, there's, there's hurt, there's hardship, there's dark times, and I just wanna share a little bit of a time that I went through. Uh, probably when I was about 11 or 12 years old, I was exposed to pornography for the first time. Was over at a friend's house after a Sunday morning church service and his older brother came and grabbed us and he brought us into his room and on his computer he had porn playing. And I was young and sheltered and had no idea what I was looking at. Uh, and by the time that I found out, I was hopelessly addicted to it. And for years, struggled with porn. I was, that, I was the church kid. I was the guy that was, would preach during youth groups and was on the worship team and helped and served and did all of this stuff. And so during the day, it looked like I had my life all together. And every night I was hopelessly bound in sin. And I couldn't find freedom. I couldn't escape it because I thought I should be able to do it on my own. I didn't want to bring other people in and let them know that I struggled and that I wasn't who they thought I was. But I also couldn't keep being this, that hypocritical Christian. So every day I was trying to do the right thing and saying, God, I give it all to you. I just, I want to live right. And every night I was bound in sin and watching porn. And it wore on me and it wore on me for years and years and years this went on until I got to a point where I said, I can't keep doing this. I said, God, I'm not going to keep doing this. I'm not going to keep, uh, keep bringing shame to my God, to my church, my pastors, the people that had poured into me. And so I said, I'm not going to, I'm gonna end it. 
I made a plan to end my life and, uh, and took all the steps, all the precautions, and one night went up to my room with a sharp knife preparing to kill myself. And I remember this clear as day. I, I sat down and as I raised that knife, I heard the audible voice of God say, stop, I still love you and I still have a plan and purpose for your life. And it broke me. In that moment, I realized that I was trying to do all this by myself when in actuality I needed to be relying on God. And at that moment, I just crouched on the ground, took a knee and said, Lord, I give it all to you. I can't do this myself. And some people, when they tell their testimony and they have that encounter with God, when they experience uh, that, that presence of God, they find immediate freedom and they say, I don't struggle with that anymore. And that's not my story because I had years of addiction to try to overcome, years of habits that needed to be overcome. But God is good. His grace is more than anything that I could have ever imagined. And the truth is that I was bound in sin, but now I'm alive in Christ. Through Jesus, there is freedom, there is hope. And I can tell you, I know each and every person that's out there, you've got stuff that you're struggling with. And I just want you to know that God still has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he still loves you. I hope you caught Mark's story. It wasn't condemnation that set him free. It wasn't being humiliated that set him free. It was this amazing revelation. You mean God still loves me? God still has a purpose for me? I'm not a loser. I'm not broken. I'm not condemned to be this way forever. No, no, no. I don't condemn you. And that grace, coupled with truth, brings freedom. I know, I know our culture says, why, why are there any rules anyway? Why can't I just do whatever I want? Well, because they're not telling you, the world's not telling you the full truth. That sin is slavery. Sexual sin is insidious slavery. And God is more interested in your freedom than your fun. So God gives us rules, he gives us guidelines, he gives us commandments because he doesn't want us to be destroyed. He wants our relationships to be great. He wants our families to be great. He created us with those things in mind. And so we want to be the kind of church that invites people to grace and experience truth. Now let me give you a couple ways that we do that. One of the ways that we do that in our church is freedom groups. Freedom is one of the many small groups that we offer every semester, but this is a 12-week study. It talks about lies. It talks about forgiveness. There's so many things we deal with in freedom, but so many people, hundreds of people have experienced freedom when they take a freedom group, and so that starts August 21st. If you've never experienced a freedom group, let me encourage you to make that a priority this semester, okay? We also have a group called Fight Club, and this is for guys. Because far too many guys are trying to conquer these types of things on their own. And we certainly understand that it's not just men that deal with these things. But this is one way that we try to help guys is through Fight Club. And it's just a, a, a group of guys, usually five to six guys, that pray for each other, encourage one another, and grow in their faith. And so that starts August 19th. And I, again, guys, if you haven't done Fight Club, I encourage you to make sure that you make that a priority as well. 
Now, as we bring this message to a close, can I ask you a question? What is God saying to you about this message? Do you lean more toward grace or do you lean more toward truth? Are you more about conviction or are you more about compassion? Because God wants us to have both. And let's be honest, if we're not gracious and if we're not truthful, we're not being like Jesus. Can I say that again? If we're not gracious and we're not truthful, we're not being like Jesus. And this is what we want. We want to be like him. And I know there's some, uh, there's some tension in the room. And the tension is between truth and grace. That's the tension. Because some of you are tempted to walk out of this message today, you're watching online, well, well, of course they are, they're that kind of church. No, 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 don't you label us, right? Because just as much truth, there's as much grace. How do we break the tension? How do we mix this together? Jesus is the one who mixes them together, full of grace and truth. And if you want to see it in all of its glory, if you want to see grace and truth in all of its power, all you have to do is look at the cross of Jesus. Because when you see the cross, you don't see grace. You see amazing grace. You see God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, you don't have to perish. You get to have eternal life through Jesus Christ because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Grace. Grace. But if you look closely at the cross, you see truth. The wages of sin is death. And that's why Jesus died. Sin is not a joke. Because the death of Jesus wasn't a joke. Sin costs us. And that's the truth. In the cross, we see the truth about the reality of sin. And so grace and truth together through the cross is what transforms us. One last scripture before we pray. John said in chapter 1, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know anything about you, but I assure you that God knows everything about you, and here's the good news. He loves you. And your Father in heaven is not waiting to pounce you on the head and punish you for your sin. He loves you so much, he punished his own son for your sin. Grace. And the truth is, God gives you an invitation to be part of his family. The truth is, it's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't do anything except receive it by faith and determine in your heart that you're going to follow Jesus. If you're here today, you're watching online, you say, Pastor, I'm not right with God. I'm not following Jesus. But today I recognize I'm not condemned, but I am convicted. And how many know there is a difference? Holy Spirit's convicted me. 
some things I need to get right with God today. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to pray it out loud, and everybody who is willing is going to pray it out loud with you today. But if you're praying this for the first time or for the first time in a long time, would you pray just a little bit louder than everybody else? You're ready to surrender your life to Jesus. Would you pray this way? Jesus, thank you for grace. Thank you for truth. I see all of that on the cross. I see your amazing love. I receive that. I also see my sin. Forgive me for that. From this day forward, I want Jesus in my life. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give God praise for grace and truth? Through the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to the Grace Assembly of God podcast so you're up to date on all sermons. Also, if you want more Grace content, make sure you subscribe to the Deeper Grace podcast, where Pastor Wayne will dive deeper into his most recent message. Have a great week, and God bless.